WebTorrent is a streaming torrent client for the browser. Feroz Abukadije is a developer working on WebTorrent. Feroz, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. In order to explain how WebTorrent works in more detail, we should talk about some of the requisite technologies. And I want to talk about BitTorrent, which is one of the requisite technologies. But before we go into the the specifics of BitTorrent, I want to go broader and talk about peer-to-peer technology as a category. Could you define what peer-to-peer technology is? Sure. Um, It's interesting. I mean, the internet is peer-to-peer technology, if you think about it. I mean, any two computers can connect to each other if you if you know if the if they know each other's addresses um so you know the internet is a big peer-to-peer system and uh it's only with you know systems that came later like the web uh that were built on top of the internet where we kind of lost some of that peer-to-peer uh that inherent peer-to-peer nature that was already there okay so in a peer-to-peer network such as the internet uh as it was classically created um, every peer is both a client and a server relative to the other nodes on the network. Um, so, I mean, do, what what are the characteristics of, of a client and a server in, in a peer-to-peer network? Like, um, how are they... Uh, how do, how do the, the 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 nodes on within the peer-to-peer network, what are their obligations to one another? <laughs> it's a bit abstract, but um, I mean, I think I think the core the core thing about a peer to peer network is that everybody can contact everybody um, at any time. Um, so um, there's no notion of of like a server that listens and can you know can receive messages from anybody, but a client that can only connect to servers, but that can't be connected to itself. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's one thing. And then typically in peer-to-peer systems, you see this property where everybody is, a, is participating in um, helping to keep the network alive in some way. So there's, there's not a lot of, uh, there aren't a lot of peers in the system who are shouldering like most of the burden of keeping the system alive. So something like the web, mm-hmm. you, have, you have web servers that, uh, you know, if they were to go away, then the, the web would go away. Um, or if a, one web server goes away, then part of part of the whole web goes away, right? Everything that that server was hosting, all those URLs are now broken uh, because the the URL refers to the location of the content, and that and that location is no longer uh, reachable. So typically, I mean, this isn't like a hard and fast rule, but what you see in a lot of peer to peer systems is that um, they're they're designed to to not have these flaws. Um, they're designed to be more resilient and to make all of the peers on more of an equal footing um, so that... Okay. So, yeah, so that there, you, you don't end up in these situations uh, where net- networks are brittle or where they have, you know, topologies where um, you see, like, the star formation where there's, like, one thing in the middle and, like, you know, thousands of people all connected to that one thing, right? <laughs> That's a very weak topology. <laughs> Sure. Okay, cool. So now we have some notion of what peer-to-peer is. So let's discuss BitTorrent. BitTorrent is a communication protocol for performing peer-to-peer file sharing. How does BitTorrent compare to the older peer-to-peer protocols that were used by networks like Napster or Kazaa? 
Okay, so I'm actually not very familiar with uh, those those older networks. I actually learned. Oh, I, yeah, I know. I actually learned uh, the stuff when I when I started taking a look at BitTorrent. Um, so those are those were actually before my my day a little bit. But um, I can kind of I kind of have an idea of where, where BitTorrent improved things. Um, um, I know that um, a lot of the older peer to peer systems um, used to be pretty primitive when it comes to actually getting the files from people. So when you connect to somebody, um, you basically um, just ask them for a file and then they send you the whole thing. And if um, they go away or the, or they're, they're, they're slow, then you have to just deal with that. Um, you're basically, it's, it's like a direct connection and you're just getting the file from usually one person. But BitTorrent is... Um, is smarter than that, right? You can actually get the file from several people, um, usually, you know, dozens of people at the same time, because you can get pieces and then reconstruct the pieces um, and and produce the, the final result. And you, you verify that the pieces that you're getting are what you expect. So there's a notion of integrity as well. Um, it's not possible for a peer to send you malware or to send you garbage data instead of the file that you're actually expecting. Great. So I'd love to get into that uh, in more detail. Describe the the. So I think the, that the this moves us towards the discussion of a distributed hash table, which is you know how you, know, you can think of the uh, you know a particular file that you want to download. If you're a client and you, you want to download some file off the BitTorrent network, um, you're pulling all these little file pieces from different. Uh, essentially indexes off of a distributed hash table across the network. Can you describe this in more detail? Like, what is the model for for the distributed hash table across the network? So the distributed hash table is actually, it's interesting because it's just used for um, finding peers. It's it's a replacement for um, what, what are... Oh, so I was wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's possible to actually get file uh, to get data from the DHT, but the way BitTorrent uses it is um, for for uh, just finding peers. So, I mean, I can talk about that if you want. Yeah, please. Yeah. So basically, uh, the BitTorrent DHT is uh, a way to take what the BitTorrent uh, trackers used to do, and to make uh, so so, and that, and that is to to help you find peers. So to find who has. Uh, the files that you're interested in, and it's it's basically taking that and making it decentralized. So instead of connecting to a single server and asking that server, you know, tell me, please tell me, people I can, uh, you know, IP addresses of people I can connect to who have this uh, file that I'm interested in, and hoping that 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 server is able to respond and you know able to handle the load, you instead uh, make every single client in the system uh, a mini tracker. And so um, it's actually an amazing engineering feat, really, um, and uh, one of the coolest ideas in computer science, I think, because it uh, it works without any central coordination. So um, every peer, basically, uh, in the system uh, decides that they're going to be responsible for keeping track of um, the peers who are interested in some subset of all of the uh, torrents in the whole world. And... They do this by picking uh, every every peer picks an ID when they start up, and this ID is uh, you can think of it as like a number in a big number line, and it's so it's somewhere between you know zero and a really big number two to the one sixty, and every torrent in the world is also a number that's somewhere on that same number line, and so 
If your ID happens to be close to some torrent ID, then it will be your job to keep track of uh, the people who are downloading that torrent or who are seeding that torrent. So the people who are in the swarm, the torrent swarm, as we as we mm. call it. So, uh, so yeah, everybody just does this, and then um, and so it's, it kind of splits the work up among everybody, and it's not that much work when you have uh, you know ten to twenty million BitTorrent clients uh, online at any given time, and and then um, now you need a way to kind of find who you should ask when it comes time, like when you actually want to go download something. So 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 say. Uh, you have a a torrent hash, right? Uh, or you know, which is basically a magnet link or something. And you want to now find uh, who you know which peer in the system you should ask um, to find out the, that list of IP addresses that you want. Those, those are the people who you you're going to eventually connect to and get the file from. You need some way to kind of traverse this 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 distributed data structure, which is the DHT, um, and it's uh, probably not easy to explain, like over over uh, audio, <laughs> but but like let's just say there's a way where you can uh, provably within uh, like a pretty quick amount of time, so a certain uh, number of hops, um, you can find exactly who is the person who is keeping track of the, the peers for the torrent that you want, and mm. and it's uh, it's it's actually provable that you can do this in uh, O of log n time, where where n is the number of um, nodes in the network. So for like 10 to 20 million nodes in the network, that's around, uh, you know, average of 20 hops. So just by talking to 20 different people, you very, you very quickly narrow down and find exactly who, who you should ask. So it's, it's amazing, actually, that, that it works. So let's say if I want cat.jpg, um, and uh, so I can just ask the network, and within 20 hops, I know who all the different, where, where all the different pieces of cat.jpg uh, will reside. Is that is that correct? Or could you walk me through that example? Yeah, sure. So let's let's first walk through the example of how you would uh, find who has cat.jpg in the old model, uh, the way that BitTorrent used to work for many years, which is uh, with with a tracker server. So the way that would work is when you um, add that torrent to your to your torrent client, it would see that there's a, a tracker server listed in there. So it's just like an HTTP URL of a server that it's, uh, that it, that it, it knows it can ask for, uh, peers. So it sends a message, it sends an HTTP request to that server and says, I want, uh, this, this torrent. And the server responds with a list of IP addresses and ports. These are IP addresses and ports of people who, um, are downloading or seeding the content. And um, the way that the tracker gets this list is everyone who who's who's ever downloaded that um, that torrent in the past, uh, or who's who's seeding that tor- torrent, every 15 minutes they all send a message to the tracker saying, uh, "Hey tracker, by the way, I'm still in the swarm. I'm still downloading or seeding this." So the, the tracker just makes this list out of all the people who've contacted it in the last 15 minutes, uh, and and who have said that they're you know they're torrent client is is has this content available so then when so when i want to get that list i just send a message to the to the tracker and it adds me to the list and then it also responds with the list of everyone who is also um who also has the file does that make sense yeah okay so that's how it keeps the list up to date and so every 15 minutes my client is going to be announcing this and it's going to be um getting a new list of peers that it can try to connect to 
Now, in the, in the DHT, I want to basically get the same list, but I'm going to be getting it from a random person in the world. And so first I have to do the 20 hops to find who to ask. And then that, so when I find that person, they're going to respond with that list of peers. And then I have to connect to all those peers now to actually get the file data. So it's just like a two-step process. I have to do a little bit of work now just to find the peers. It's not as simple as a, as a, as a get request, an HTTP get request to a server. Um, and then once I have that response, then I have to do the second step, which is to actually connect to these people. And, uh, and then that's where the BitTorrent protocol itself comes into play. And that's where, you know, you actually do the piece requests and, and, and get piece responses, uh, which is, you know, pieces of the file. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So we've been talking about uh, kind of the lower level protocol. And I want to zoom out for a while to put this in some broader context. So b- before you started working on WebTorrent, the, the user experience that kind of was the the optimal thing anybody could imagine for BitTorrent was was really bad. So describe the user experience of somebody who had to consume the BitTorrent protocol and and why it was so awful. Well, I mean, it that's a that's interesting from a U, from a UI perspective. Or yeah, I guess yeah. from the end user experience. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when BitTorrent was like state of the art and where where you know, it was uh, one of the easiest ways to get files. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, in a way, it's not that different than a web browser in that, you know, first you download the browser, the torrent client, right? And then you need to get a URL. Um, and mm. in, this, in, the, in the case of a torrent client, that's a, a torrent file. And then you give it to the, to the thing and it goes and, you know, gets the, the, the content that you requested. Um, but um, these days, I think like people sort of expect better uh, from their... Uh, just from all the services that they use and the standards been raised by uh, like, you know, YouTube and just by different, you know, various uh, video streaming sites. So people expect to be able to uh, just push play and have, you know, have it work. And so if you're a site owner and you're considering using BitTorrent as a way to save money, to save bandwidth, um, that's not really viable because you're basically asking your users. One second, sorry. Don't sweat it. Yeah, so that's so. Uh, let me repeat the lessons. What was I saying? Um, oh yeah, so if you're a site owner and you uh, are considering BitTorrent as a way to save bandwidth costs, uh, you you know you have to remember that you're going to be asking your users to do a whole bunch of extra steps that they wouldn't have to do before. So they they might not know what BitTorrent is. They might not have a BitTorrent client installed on their computer. So now they have to go do that. And then um, after all that, they have to then come back and, and uh, you know, click, click the link to download your torrent file and then open that up in the, in the torrent client. And they have to wait for the, the content to, f- to finish downloading, which could take a while. Um, and then once that's all done, then they can start to watch it. So there's no streaming, um, which just makes for an overall worse user experience. And so, so it's, it's just not something you can actually do. No one would. No, no company who who offers um, you know videos is going to offer offer them over BitTorrent unless they're really desperate. So you see some some people actually doing this um, who are really desperate. Um, like if you look at the Internet Archive, um, the Internet Archive is trying to archive all of the you know the whole internet, and they're really strapped for cash, and so they offer a lot of their content over over BitTorrent. 
And if you're trying to download some random, you know, archive video from the 50s of, of I don't know, some black and white, I don't know, maybe earlier than the 50s, the, the, the 20s or some, some period of time that's no longer in copyright, and you're trying to download that video, you might be willing to put up with BitTorrent to get that archival footage or whatever that, that, that you want. But um, the average user is not going to do that. Right. Okay. Well, so that brings us to your ideal vision for the user experience of your project, WebTorrent. So what is the ideal vision that you're trying to build? So WebTorrent is a BitTorrent client that works in the browser. This means that you can go to a website and it can fetch content in a peer-to-peer way and it can show it to you right there in the web page and you don't have to install anything on your computer you don't have to install a browser plugin or install a separate program on your computer. It just works. So you have the exact same user experience of uh, browsing the web normally, but it's peer-to-peer. That uh, sounds like an awesome goal. So what are the problems with getting to that user experience? What are the hurdles that we need to jump from a technical point of view? So uh, WebTorrent requires a technology called WebRTC to be available in your browser. Uh, fortunately, it's available in Chrome and Firefox and Microsoft's new browser, Edge. Uh, and also Opera. So um, it's it, so you need WebRTC. That's one thing. Um, it's it's pretty widely deployed. It's it's going to only increase. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a good thing. But if you really you know really need it to work for like Safari users, it, it, then you're out of luck. Um, um, so so assuming you have WebRTC and you're, and you're using a modern browser that supports all these new standards, then. Um, the next challenge is to um, find peers who have the content. And if the, if the content that you're hosting on your site is, uh, like let's say you, you're, you're a video site and you are already hosting all your stuff on, eight, on an HTTP um, server, so on a CDN or something like that, maybe, maybe Amazon S3 or whatever, um, then um, WebTorrent actually has a really cool way of of creating kind of a hybrid torrent. Um, it's it's a way, a way where you can basically say, this content is peer-to-peer, like get it from peers if possible, but there's also an HTTP URL where you can get the file from too. And so you can tell WebTorrent to go and download this and then tell it to, to show that video in a video tag on your page. And it will always work because there's always that HTTP URL there that it can fall back to even if there are no peers. So if you're the first person to come to the page, then you'll probably get it, you'll definitely get it over HTTP. And then once you have just the first bit of that video, you're now sharing that to other people who, who will come later. So this is actually a really nice way for sites that already, um, that, you know, already exist today that, that have all their stuff on HTTP to kind of create a hybrid site that's, that's peer-to-peer when possible, but that doesn't sacrifice the availability of the files when there are no um, peers online. Wow. Okay. So that's that's a super uh, interesting end use case. I didn't quite understand before this conversation. In order to understand how WebTorrent works at a lower level, we need to understand the three types of nodes that are participating. So we have the classic BitTorrent clients that people use on their desktop to download files. So these are clients like uTorrent. And then we also have webtorrent.js clients that run on web pages. 
Um, but these two types of torrent clients cannot communicate directly with each other, which is crucial. So you need a layer of communication between them that brokers the traffic between a desktop BitTorrent client like uTorrent and one of these webtorrent.js scripts that is running on a web page. So as I understand, this is like really crucial. And um, so I'd love to know, like, is what I said correct? And uh, explain it in more detail to the listeners. Sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. It's, it comes up a lot on um, on the GitHub issue tracker, actually. So, so the WebTorrent, um, so, so WebTorrent is is incompatible with existing clients, and that's that's not because we um, wanted to make it that way. Um, obviously, it would be awesome if if every every client could talk to every other client. It's an unfortunate limitation of uh, the way WebRTC works. So the browser um, has to follow this special connection model um, because it wouldn't be safe to just allow a browser tab to start making random connections from your computer uh, because it could connect to you know, random services on your local network like your printer or your, or your router or whatever. It's not safe. So WebRTC has a more complicated connection model. Um, instead of just... Uh, knowing, uh, okay, so if you think about TCP, in TCP to connect to somebody, you just need to know someone's um, IP address and their port, and then you can send them uh, messages. You can connect to them. Um, it's kind of like sending a letter in the mail. Um, to mail somebody a letter, you just need to know their address, and you write it on the envelope, and then you put it in the mail, and, it, and it'll arrive at their end. Um, WebRTC is is more complicated than that, so it's... it's um, it requires an offer and an answer. So uh, it's kind of like getting um, introduced to somebody. It's kind of like getting uh, set up on a date. It's actually a good way to think about it. <laughs> so to get set up on a date, um, you, you, you um, usually know a mutual, uh, you and the person know a mutual friend, and the mutual friend kind of brokers between the two until you finally connect directly. So, uh, so in WebRTC, the, to make it concrete, the way it works is if I want to connect to a peer that I know is out there in the world somewhere, I create an offer, which is just a blob of text that describes um, my connection. So my, my IP address and my port and some other stuff. And then I give that offer to some middleman. Um, it could be a server. It could be um, another peer. And, that, and then that message, that offer gets transferred over to the, to the um, other peer I want to talk to. In some way, it's not defined by WebRTC. Your application can get that, mess- that that offer message to the other person in any way you want. You could send it via carrier pigeon if you wanted. Then, when the other person gets it, <laughs> yeah, when the other person gets it, um, they they produce an answer um, based on the offer. The answer contains their IP address and port and, a, and some other information, um, and then uh, that gets sent back to you via some other, you know, again via some undefined channel. And then now that we both have, uh, so, so now that I have an answer and the other person has the offer, we can finally connect directly to each other. Um, and then, then you start to have true peer-to-peer connection at that point. Uh, so before that, it's, it's, um, mm-hmm. you have to go through a, through a middleman. And um, this makes it safe to do in the browser. So um, just to answer your original question, just to make, it, to make it clear. So because we have to do this, this different connection model, we basically, we had to make, uh, certain changes to the protocol, to the BitTorrent protocol. But we only changed it in, in order to support WebRTC. And so we changed it in the most minimal way we could. 
So other than this one change, it's exactly the same as normal BitTorrent. And so um, we hope that other clients out there like uTorrent and Transmission and Vuz and all the other ones will um, adopt WebTorrent. And in order to do that, they just need to support WebRTC as an additional connection type. And, you know, in addition to the, to the, um, to the two that they already support. It's actually interesting that there's already a history of BitTorrent actually ad- adopting new connection types over time. So it, it all used to be TCP-based, and now um, it also supports uh, UDP, which is actually more efficient. So WebRTC could just be another one um, among the, the two that are already there, and, and then we'll have three different ways to, mm. for peers to connect to each other. Mm. Okay, so we will get into WebRTC in more detail, but um, in order to illustrate the explanation that you said could you connect that to the, uh, the example you gave? So, like, somebody goes to, um, to you know, torrenttube.com, uh, and, and there's a video, and the video, and I want to play the video, and the video is going to play just like you described, where it will potentially go to, uh, you know, just a, uh, a, a, you know, a, a predictable link, like the way links normally work on the internet right now, Um but it'll also go, it would go to, it would use WebTorrent if WebTorrent were available. Can you connect that simple end user example to the technical explanation that you just gave and what would be happening on the back end in the case of the WebTorrent use case? So are you asking like what would happen if, um, if existing torrent clients supported WebRTC and then um, like a normal web browser user just went to a site and was able to get a torrent from them? Yes, it, it, the I'm I'm asking for the, the kind of the the end to end explanation of when you go to the web page and you click play on the video. Like if you go to WebTorrent, if you go to the WebTorrent homepage, I think it's webtorrent.com or webtorrent.org. .io. and that video is playing. WebTorrent.io, right? So when that video is playing, what is happening? And on on a, on a lower level, like given the technical explanation that you just gave, how does that me clicking play on that video translate to what's going on uh, in the in the in the, at the torrent level. Yeah, yeah, good question. So basically, um, what's happening is when you go to when you go to uh, webtorrent.io, we um, we include like a, a there's a magnet link in the page uh, that describes. What is a magnet link? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So okay. So um, this is kind of a tangent, though. Do you want me to explain it right now? Yes. Go for it. Okay. So. Uh, so before magnet links, there were just .torrent files. And torrent files are um, kind of like URLs for torrents. Um, the only difference is a URL uh, describes the location of content. That's what a URL, um, URL stands for, Uniform Resource Locator. Um, and so you know, it, it's describing the location. So if the location, uh, the, the server that has the content goes away, then the content uh, is unavailable. So that's a broken link. Uh, we see broken links all the time on the web. Um, so a torrent file, on the other hand, is, uh, uses, uses this thing called uh, content, uh, content addressable, uh, what's, what's it called? Uh, it's basically content addressable, uh, um, uh, what's the, I'm forgetting the, 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 the third word. Um, <laughs> basically, basically a, a torrent file, uh, it doesn't use the location of the content. It uses the the content itself as a sort of address. So um, 
Mm. You can think of it kind of like, um, uh, uh, kind of like a fingerprint. Yeah. If I know someone's fingerprint, um, I will know when I find the real person because I can check their fingerprint and say, um, oh, this is, this is the real person. So if I can tell you the, the person you're looking for has this fingerprint, here's, here's a copy of their fingerprint. Um, once you find the real person, you'll um, be able to check that it's the real person because you compare the, their actual fingerprint uh, on their finger to the fingerprint that you got in advance. So you identify the, the thing you're looking for mm-hmm. by its fingerprint. And so that's what the torrent file contains. It contains a fingerprint. And in fact, it even contains uh, uh, many fingerprints. It splits the, the file up that you're looking for into, into many pieces, like th- a thousand pieces. And it has a fingerprint for each one of those pieces. And that's how you can actually get different pieces of the file from different people and check the fingerprint of each of the pieces and make sure that you got the right uh, data. And if someone gives you a bad piece, you can um, immediately know that they're they're a bad peer and you should stop uh, talking to them and stop trusting them. Um, And you don't have to wait until you get the whole file to find out, oh, dang, um, the fingerprint is wrong. Um, now I, what do I do? Because I wasted an hour downloading this huge thing and I, and, and it's, it's wrong somewhere, but I don't know where, uh, I just know it's wrong because the fingerprint is, is it's wrong. So, you know, in, 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 in the way we um, actually do the fingerprinting is with, with hashing. If you're familiar, like, you know, like SHA-1 hashing or, or, um, you know, MD5 mm-hmm. is another hashing thing. Sure. Please. Yeah. So it's just a way to kind of succinctly describe the content of, um, something, and it's, it's like a one-way function. You put in some stuff, you get out uh, a small, succinct fingerprint. And if you change the input at all, even a little bit, then you get out a completely different fingerprint. So, so anyway, a magnet link is basically just um, a more succinct way to represent the torrent file. So if the torrent file contains the, these thousand fingerprints, that means that it's going to be pretty big. It's going to be like, um, you know, maybe a few kilobytes, um, maybe, even, um, maybe even hundreds of kilobytes so um, it's not very easy to refer to something by 100 kilobyte, uh, you know, description. Um, a link would be nicer, something that's really short. And, <laughs> and so that's what a magnet link is. It's basically just, ah, okay. it's a hash of the whole torrent file itself. So you basically hash that even one more time. And now you get just a simple little hash that's, that's only like, you know, 40 characters. And then, um, and then what you do is you ask the network, the peers, to give you the torrent file. And if it match, if you if you hash the torrent file and it comes out to the same hash that was in the magnet link, then you know they gave you the right torrent file. Okay, so we've got an idea of what the magnet link is. I'm sorry I deviated you. Could, could we still good. go through that end to end example? Yeah, sure, sure. So okay, so so the page has a magnet link in it, and um, and so when the JavaScript starts to run, it takes that link and it says, "All right, my job is to download this uh, this this file and play it in, in this video tag." So it finds some peers. Um, it uses a tracker server right now that um, that I'm running, and um, so it asks that server who has this video, uh, and uh, the server replies. It connects to those people, and it um, it starts to fetch the file uh, data using the BitTorrent protocol. Um, now the pe- the people it's connecting to are all sorts of different types of of clients. So there's there's other people who are on the same page page as you that are that are um, sharing the file. Um, there are also some um, some uh, people running uh, Node.js programs that are just sitting on their server, just seeding this content, uh, seeding this video to make it available more. 
Um, and so those are just like random node programs uh, on random servers out there that are also participating. And those are, so those are also WebTorrent um, nodes. But what's interesting about those node, uh, node programs that uh, some people are running is that they're, since it's Node, uh, Node.js can, can do anything that you know, a program on your computer could do. So it can do TCP and UDP. So those Node programs are actually sharing that video to normal, normal um, BitTorrent clients like uTorrent and Transmission as well. So we call those hybrid clients because they can talk to both the normal existing network of BitTorrent peers and the browser peers as well. Um, and then, uh, and slowly over time, we're hoping that, you know, those, those normal peers will become hybrid peers by adopting WebRTC. So the number of hybrid peers will increase. But today, when you go to webtorrent.io, you're just going to get, you know, you're just getting it from, from people running these special Node, uh, Node.js programs and from other people on the same page as you. Uh, and we also have a, a web seed in there as well. So uh, we, we also have the content on an HTTP server so that it can use that if there's no one else uh, online as well. But these days, if you go to WebTorrent.io, you'll see there's a lot of peers online. There's usually at least mm. at least 20 available at any given time for, for that video on the homepage. Right. Okay. So uh, in, we should dive into how to make this work uh, at, at a lower level. So you've described this three-step plan that you need in order to make WebTorrent usable. And you said step one is to build a JavaScript BitTorrent client for OS X, Windows, and Linux. Step two is to make Node.js code run in the browser. And step three is to use WebRTC to create peer-to-peer connections. Why are each of the steps of this plan crucial? <laughs> so I think I think you found that uh, uh, probably on an old GitHub GitHub issue from a long time ago when I was just starting the project. That's uh, it's funny because I haven't heard that uh, that plan in a while. So the plan the plan was roughly to was roughly like this. I, I thought that so for step one I should probably to, uh, as just as an individual developer I didn't understand BitTorrent that well. So I thought before I try any of this stuff before I have you know before I try to make this crazy idea work I should probably understand how BitTorrent works. So I wanted to just write a BitTorrent client just to understand it. So, uh, but I knew that I, I knew, I knew that I needed to do that in JavaScript so that most of that work could be reused when it came time to make it work in the browser. So that's what I did. There, there were already um, some existing uh, BitTorrent clients on, uh, on NPM, the node uh, package manager that I, I could use uh, as a reference. Um, but, uh, but I basically wrote one from scratch and then, um, it's actually surprisingly easy to, 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 to get something like that working because you don't have to be a good peer at first. You can just, you can just be leechy. You can just basically send messages to the network and get, get what you want and not, not, be very, not be a very good peer. And it'll kind of work because there's enough capacity in the network for that. So it's, it's actually really good for um, getting started. It's, you, know, you can just write something that just barely works and then improve it over time. Um, and that's sort of the approach that, that I've taken. So so once you have once we had that, then then the next step became okay. Let's make it work in the browser. So then we made the changes to it so that it would work with WebRTC. But what what I actually learned along the way that was kind of interesting is that um, I could structure the WebTorrent project in such a way that you could include that JavaScript file either in Node or in the browser and have it work. So it's the same exact code base. 
And if it if it um, mm-hmm. if, if there if there is t- TCP and UDP available, it'll use it. And if there's WebRTC available, it'll use it. So in the browser where WebRTC is just built in, it'll detect that and it'll start it'll start connecting to those kinds of peers. And in Node where only TCP and UDP um, uh, are available by default, it'll use those. And if WebRTC happens to be available in Node as well, it'll use that too. So. Um, it just kind of does what it can and depending on the environment it's in. And it's the same exact uh, NPM uh, package. So it's just, it's just called WebTorrent and you can use it in either place. So that's kind of cool. Um, so then, right. yeah, so now you have this, now you have these, you know, now you have a pretty good, um, now you have a client that works in both places. What was the third step? I forget. Can you repeat it to me? Well, you were saying to use WebRTC to create peer-to-peer connections. Yeah, so that's that's the part where we got it working in the browser. You got it working with WebRTC. Yeah. Okay. So so to clarify, I mean, in, in step one, you uh, you you wanted to build a JavaScript and BitTorrent client, and then step two, you wanted to make the Node.js code run in the browser. So to clarify, you you were taking the all the code that you wrote for the BitTorrent client in step one and just porting it to the browser in step two, right? Yeah, I mean, like I like I said before, it, it's really just changing the way that the, the transport layer works, the way that you open connections. After a connection is opened mm. in uh, the browser, everything that you do after that is exactly the same. So, uh, if you if you can if you if you can write your code in a way where you you abstract the the type of uh, stream that you're communicating over, and you so you 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 basically once you have op- an open connection. You, you treat all of them exactly the same, whether it's TCP, UDP, or, or um, WebRTC, then you can make the rest of the code exactly the same. So 95% mm-hmm. of it is exactly the same in both places, and there's just this extra connection type that is used um, when WebRTC is available. D- does that make sense? Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so to, to build on this explanation of your development process, the tools that you used to execute this plan are NPM, Browserify and WebRTC. So this is maybe like sort of the explanation of why is this possible now, or I mean, why is this easier now? Um, like N- npm Browserify and WebRTC. You know, maybe this would have been feasible in the past, but it was certainly made a lot easier by these tools. So I'd like to kind of go through these and like talk about the importance of of these tools. So so for example, npm. How does npm you know, NPM, you, you talked about the importance of being able to break your components into small reusable parts. How does NPM embody the best way to do this? So I, that's a great question. I, um, I think that NPM is one of the best ways to learn how to um, structure large applications just by looking at the way people do it on NPM. Um, it's interesting because it solves um, the problem of dependency hell that you have with a lot of other package managers. So um, instead of installing things uh, globally, you install them locally to your project. So you don't need to use like a lot of the hacks that other um, other people in other programming language communities have to use. Like in Python, there's a virtual env to like make it so that your things install locally instead of globally. Um, so when you have that, that, that allows you to then um, depend on a lot more things and not worry about um, having, uh, having two things in your dependency tree that depend on different versions of a shared dependency. So 
because if that ever happens, then you're really screwed and you have to basically get rid of one of your dependencies because they're both depending on, on different versions of something, right? So NPM is really good for that. So, so you see in the, in the node community is people just writing these really small packages that do like one thing, but usually a lot of packages are just one function. And then you can depend on that and um, not worry that it will cause a conflict with, with, you know, it'll make, it won't make your package less appealing to use because you have dependencies. So what you see in a lot of other communities like Python um, uh, is that uh, any, any library that, that uh, wants to get a lot of adoption or uh, is used by a lot of people will have no dependencies they'll, or very few, and they'll try to inline as much as possible. So they're basically, mm. I mean, in essence, copy-pasting things from, um, from you know, copy-pasting functions from other places and putting them into, this, into, their, into their package so they can say they have no dependencies. Because if they had a dependency and you had a different version of that dependency, you wouldn't be able to use their package. So... Um, so, right. so that's kind of cool. Um, I, I mean, and then, so given that, then, then what you, what you, so when I learned about this, I was like really excited. So I decided to write WebTorrent in as uh, modular a way as possible. So every piece of it is a different package that you can use on your own if you only want to do like that aspect of, of, uh, of a torrent client. So for example, if you want to just create a torrent file and you want to, and you want to just 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 do that. You don't want to actually do any torrenting. You, you're just let's say you're just building a website to let you drop files on it and get, gives you back a torrent file. You can do that with one package called Create Torrent. Um, if you want to just parse a torrent, so you want to be you want to take in a torrent file and then produce a list of all of the data that's inside of it as a JSON object. That's a different module called Parse Torrent. If you want to um, connect to a BitTorrent tracker server and ask it for some peers back, that's a different module called BitTorrent Tracker. If you want to connect to the DHT and ask the DHT for peers, that's called BitTorrent DHT, uh, and and on and on, right? So so then then what WebTorrent does is it just requires all of these packages and ties them together with a little bit of glue code, and then you have a, a torrent client. So okay. it's really actually quite nice because um, there are other torrent clients that are written in JavaScript that can use the same dependencies that um, WebTorrent uses. So you know, it's actually maybe, maybe in a sense, not good for the WebTorrent project that I'm doing all this work in these modules and then someone else can come along and make a competing torrent client. But I don't care because this is a better way to do software. And, and that means that like these, these uh, sub-dependencies get a lot of bug fixes and get a lot of attention because they're used by a lot of other people and a lot of different other projects. Well, certainly. And I mean, the virtuous cycle goes the same way. They might make some small modular dependency that you could easily swap out some uh you know uh suboptimal modular dependency that you've built into webtorrent and and you would have an improved project and even if they've taken a bunch of code from you then you know virtuous cycle or whatever so um but but what about browserify so browserify is heavily used by webtorrent could you um you know we've glossed over browserify in previous episodes of software engineering daily but i'd love if you could explain what browserify is and why it's so useful to webtorrent sure so if i were to state what browserify does simply i would say it makes node style require work in the browser so the browser doesn't have a require function to let you require modules and so um, if you have code that's written in that style and you want to make it work in the browser, you need to, to um, transform it. So Browserify is a very simple transformation from code that is written in this require style. And um, it makes it work in the browser. 
Okay. And so how, how was that so useful to WebTorrent? Well, WebTorrent was uh, originally, uh, like, we, like we said before, it was written you know, as a Torrent client for Node. So being able to just take that, that code and make it um, run in the browser, um, you know, it was greatly helped by having Browserify. Right. Okay. Perfect. And one of the other things um, uh, that's kind of cool, too, that it can do is uh, sometimes one of your dependencies doesn't really make sense in the browser. So let's say, like, I'm requiring something that, like, in Node, um, in Node.js, it makes sense for me to maybe, like, read some files off of the file system or store some stuff in a, in a, in a, like, in the temp folder on your hard drive. That doesn't really make sense in the browser. So browser, if I can do this um, thing where in your package JSON file, you can say that you want to uh, take something, uh, take one module that was, that's being used in Node and replace it with a different module when, it's, uh, when Browserify is actually bundling up your code for the browser. So it'll just swap like one module for another a browser version, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, totally. So, and I think Browserify really helps us articulate the transformation from step one of your plan to, for, to step two of your plan. Cause step one, like you said, you wanted to write, you know, just a, just a client, just a JavaScript BitTorrent client that just runs on your OS. And then you, in step two, you wanted to port it to run in the browser and Browserify is like the articulation of this process of moving it from just a client side application to the browser. I mean, still a client side application, but now it's in the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so step three of your plan, you wanted to use WebRTC to create peer-to-peer connections. Um, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about WebRTC. WebRTC is this API for browser-to-browser applications. And it allows voice calling and video chat and peer-to-peer file sharing. Let's let's talk a little bit more about WebRTC and, like, w- when when did WebRTC first appear and, and, and how does it play such an important role in WebTorrent? So before WebRTC, it wasn't possible to do peer-to-peer applications in the browser. The, the best you could do would be to make a, a WebSocket server and have your users on your website talk to each other through the WebSocket server. So a lot of, a lot of sites still do this. This is, this is how you know, Facebook chat works. This is how um, uh, you get like a lot of... Uh, um, real-time like features that let you interact with other people um, on the web today. The downside, of course, is that um, the, this middleman can kind of see all the traffic and there's, um, and, and, you know, manipulate it, record it, whatever they want. Um, and, and, um, but, but, but I mean, another, another reason that has nothing to do with like privacy or, or security is, is just that it's, it's actually slower because you have to go through this extra server, this extra hop in the middle. If I'm trying to send a message to to you, and we're on, we're both on the same site, and we're trying to talk to each other. There's really no reason, technically, why it should have to go through a random server in the middle of nowhere. We should just connect to each other and, and talk. Um, so that's what WebRTC enables. Um, and it turns out that for certain applications like video calling um, or um, uh, uh, video chatter or voice calling, you really want to have direct connection because the latency of going through a, a, thir- a, a random, random middleman server would actually make the experience a lot worse. And um, it would make it like, uh, si- si- like significantly, um, there'd be a noticeable lag. And, 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 also, and, it, and also the, um, the cost of, of the, for, the, for, the, for the middleman to actually um, 
transit all that traffic would be substantial because now they have to have this server sitting there that is just taking in all this video and, and sending out all this video. And, and really, there's no point to all of it. I mean, they're not going to be saving it or, or they're not really processing it. There's really no point for, for, for uh, things to be designed that way. So a lot of um, applications like Skype um, will use peer-to-peer whenever they can. If you're on some really restrictive network, like a corporate network or something, you might not be able to directly connect to um, to another a person, especially if both of them are behind, uh, are, both of them are on corporate networks. So it's still useful to have that middleman there in those situations, so the call can at least work. But um, in general, peer-to-peer is, is preferable. So that's another reason why this was created. Was, was actually it's the primary reason why why WebRTC was created. Um, it was to enable really good voice calling and video chat in um, in the web browser. Hmm. Okay. So I, I know we're running up against time and I want to zoom out again and talk more about the project in the abstract. What are the engineering problems that are still unsolved in WebTorrent? What are you working on now? Good question. So what I'm working on right now is I'm trying to make WebTorrent um, into a nice desktop application that um, people can use with, you know, with a UI instead of just a command line application. So um, I'm hoping that people will start to use this client instead of Transmission or, or um, uTorrent or whatever you know, other client they use today. At least some, some number of users. I mean, I don't need everybody to switch. But if some people start to use uh, a WebTorrent-powered client, then that means all the content that they're downloading and, uh, and seeding will be made available to, to both uh, normal BitTorrent peers and uh, web browser peers. And so that's really exciting. Um, and I think the reason why people might want to use this client that um, we're, we're working on right now is just because it's going to have some features that normal uh, desktop clients don't have. So um, you can actually stream torrents. You can, you can start to play them back right away. You don't have to wait for the whole torrent to finish downloading. Um, and I know some clients have tried this in the past, but it's been kind of flaky. Um, there's um, There's been a lot of uh, work in Node.js, uh, in different Node.js modules, that do this kind of torrent streaming, and it's proven to be pretty reliable. Um, so I think some people might switch for that feature. And I want it to be really lightweight and simple, uh, unlike a lot of the, the current clunky UIs that you see. <laughs> I think Transmission does a pretty good job, actually. It's probably one of the better ones. But um, I think you can even simplify more than that. And so that's kind of what I'm going to try and do. And um, it's, it's currently being built as an Electron app. So um, WebTorrent can just work uh, because it will use the um, it'll use the node parts of Electron, and it'll use the. So if people don't know, Electron is Electron is a, is a project from GitHub uh, that they built to create the Atom text editor. Oh. It's basically Chromium uh, wrapped into a native uh, wrapper, so you can build a native app, uh, but use web technologies. So it's really oh no way yeah. that's how Atom works yeah Atom is just a, is just Chrome uh, really inside and then they just they, they're loading like their web app inside and it has all these um, all these native uh, integrations into the OS so it can do so the JavaScript can do things that normally you know a, a page couldn't do like it can create notifications on your desktop or access your file system or or um, you know put items in the menu bar and all the other stuff that you want a, a native app to be able to do that's really cool. Okay, so zooming out even further and looking into the future, like, you know, you've given the use case of kind of the YouTube, the torrent-powered YouTube version, but 
given how much you've worked on this and how much you've thought about this, I know that you've got bigger thoughts about where WebTorrent could take us. What are some of the bolder use cases that like, like let's project forward, you know, five or six years or whatever. And, you know, this, you've got the web torrent version of YouTube going and it's fantastic. And then people are starting to adopt the technology and understand it and build on it. What are the more um, like forward looking, sophisticated use cases that you've thought about? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot, it's really exciting and there's probably use cases that I haven't thought of, but um, I know that the peer assisted delivery use case uh, is a good one. So that's uh, basically sites that currently just host all their videos can um, uh, can kind of offload some of the work to WebTorrent. So uh, Netflix was looking into this for a while um, to see if they could uh, use something like WebTorrent. Um, so that would be a really cool use case, I think, uh, because it would it would make it uh, cheaper for them to send out higher quality versions of the of the content on Netflix. And that would, you know, improve everyone's experience. And especially during peak hours, being able to use peer-to-peer would, would um, reduce a lot of internet congestion during, during uh, the peak time when everybody starts to watch Netflix after, after coming home from work. Um, there's also, um, like, like, like file transfer, is sending files to friends is a pretty cool use case. There's a site called Instant.io that I made as a, as a demo of this. So you can go there and uh, drop some files onto your browser and then... You get a link and you can send it to a friend and uh, your friend goes to this link and the file starts to get sent to them right away. And uh, it's, it's basically like Dropbox, but it doesn't require you to fully like, upload the file to the Dropbox server before your friend can start to download it. So if you're sitting in the same room, um, mm. it's kind of silly to try and send a file to somebody that, using Dropbox if it's really big because um, it'll, it'll take like an hour to upload and then, or maybe longer. And then they can start to download it. But you're literally sitting next to each other. And, and, and so um, using something like um, WebRTC to, to just stream the data across is really nice because it's just peer-to-peer. So the, the data will actually um, never even leave your local network. Um, mm. It uses the best path that it, that it can. And if, if you're just on the same Wi-Fi network, it'll just, it'll just use that. Um, so, so, so quickly sending files is a really good um, use case that a lot of people are already using it for. If you go to if you go to Instant.io, you can see the user experience of that site could be better, by the way. But um, it, but it, but it, but, it, but it works. <laughs> it could also be worse. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, there's another there's another uh, one actually. Another another guy, um, uh, a two, another couple guys actually built a better um, UX for the same idea. It's called File Pizza. Go to, you can go to file mm. file.pizza. <laughs> uh, file works exactly the same as Instant.io, except it uh, it looks way cooler because there's a rotating pizza. That rotates while your da- while your file is getting downloaded. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, this has been a super interesting conversation. Um, I, I, I'm, I am really looking forward to seeing how the your peer to peer vision of the internet evolves. Um, you know, I like how uh, you know the the way that we started the conversation. You know, you're talking about how the 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 way that the web kind of originated was a little more decentralized um and but your version and and then it's become a little more centralized you know if if some web server that we needed right now disappeared then we would have a bunch of dead links but uh you know you you have a you have a vision of a more decentralized internet that is um sounds very achievable which is um in some contrast to some of the uh decentralization bulls that I've 
I've interviewed, like when I did weeks about cryptocurrencies and stuff, uh, is a, a little more hand wavy and hard to understand where their vision of decentralization was going. But yours is a lot more um, well for- formed. Not to not to um, you know insult those those other decentralization people, but anyway, I'm I'm uh, I'm really excited about your work, and I'm 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 glad to have been able to highlight it on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It's been really fun. 